through his seed, all the nations, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And, uh, but God says in that promise, but this won't be for another 400 years yet, because the land that I'm going to give to you is occupied by people whose sin is bad, but it's not bad enough for me to destroy them and deport them. So 400 years uh, is the promise. And so uh, we get a situation where um, Abraham's descendants, a family of 70, move off into Egypt um, to escape famine in the, in the promised land. And they uh, are there, and they settle there for a, a long time. And then after a period of time, they're taken into made slaves. And then uh, a great figure called Moses is called by God to um, take them out from captivity uh, in what we know as the Exodus. They travel into the wilderness. God gives Moses the law, which is all about how to live in a way that reflects the character of God. It covers every area of life. And uh, they're taken under Moses to the point of entry into the Canaan. And because of their disobedience and uh, faithlessness towards God, there's only two of those, that whole congregation of people um, get to move into the promised land um, from those who actually left um, uh, Egypt. Um, and so under Joshua, you get the conquest of the land and subsequently uh, the people ask for a king and so we get a monarchy uh, initially under Saul and then this towering figure called David, King David, who was a man after God's own heart. And, um, and then he, uh, he wanted, once he'd conquered the land, he wanted to build a temple, a place for God that would replace the, uh, the temporary um, tent that was uh, necessary in a nomadic wandering situation. Uh, a tent was appropriate, but now they're settled in the land. David wanted to build a temple. But God said to him, no, you're a man of war. It's going to be your son Solomon who will build the temple. <clears throat> so at this point, where are we? We have a, a promised kingdom that God's people, the Israelites, that's the, the 12 tribes that come from the 12 sons of Jacob, who was renamed Israel, you remember, uh, they grow into a great company of people and we find the Israelites, God's people, in Canaan, the land that God had promised to them and he's under their rule and blessing. With God's law and God's king. <clears throat> And these are heady days. <clears throat> so King Solomon builds the temple. Uh, the Levites establish, bring the Ark of the Covenant in uh, to the holy place. And the presence of God descends in such a manner that the priests can't cope. They have to get out because the presence of God is so overpowering. God is with his people and uh, Solomon then, in that tremendous um, occasion, what could we liken it to? I don't know, a royal wedding, a coronation, 
um, whatever, all wrapped into one, one huge, huge celebration. And uh, King Solomon addresses the people and he says this, Then he, King Solomon, stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. There has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. Let your heart, therefore, be loyal to the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes and keep his commandments as at this day. Not moving. Ah, oh, there we are. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord, the king's house, and all Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. I find this interesting because God doesn't speak to King Solomon through a prophet, he speaks directly to him. There's no messing about here, there's no mistake. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I have consecrated this house which you have built to put my name <coughs> and there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now if you walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded you. And if you keep my statutes and my judgments then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But that's not the end of it. He continues, but if you or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you but go and serve other gods and worship them then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them and this house which I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples and as for this house which is exalted everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will answer, because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. Great start for Solomon. Fantastic. <clears throat> when he becomes king, he asks for wisdom so that he uh, can be fitted to lead this great nation. Great start. But one of the commandments that was given to every king was that you don't have many wives and you don't take foreign wives. Unfortunately, as Sally reminded us last week, he thought it was a good idea to have 700 wives and 300 concubines, which is a bit of a stretch by any imagination. But unfortunately, a lot of those wives were taken from the people who they were meant to uh, push out from the land. So Ammonites, for example, 
women from the Ammonites' tribes were uh, married to, to King Solomon, and they brought their foreign gods with them. And so you had foreign gods right in the center of uh, the rule of the king, which was not a good idea. <clears throat> so Solomon was himself spectacularly unfaithful to God, and especially in his later years. And there's a warning for us guys of uh, more senior years, um, that we may have had a good start, <clears throat> but it's the finishing that's important. So we need to be focused on our relationship with, with Jesus, with our Father God, and uh, not to be unfaithful to him. <clears throat> there are consequences. There are always consequences when you depart from God. And so the Lord tells Solomon he will tear the kingdom away from him and give it to his servant Jeroboam. I will give one tribe to your son Rehoboam for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem which I have chosen. So God's promising to tear the kingdom apart and it's all because of Solomon's sin and the people of course who followed him. <clears throat> so what happens is in uh, 922 BC there is a rebellion of ten northern tribes that become known as Israel and Solomon's former servant Jeroboam is made king and sets up a golden calf in Bethel and Dan as places of worship as rivals to the temple in Jerusalem in Judea. And he establishes his provincial capital in Samaria. Bing, 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 light bulb moment, folks. <clears throat> this is where <clears throat> understanding the Old Testament is so helpful for us. <clears throat> Excuse me. When we come to read the New Testament. <clears throat> They set up a golden calf in Bethel. Does that ring any bells from Moses on the mountain, hearing the law from God? And whilst he's away, people are getting a bit frustrated. Where is Moses? Perhaps he's dead. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's um, make a golden calf. That'll, and we'll say that this golden calf brought us out of, out of Egypt. Why did they do that? Well, because it was a common uh, um, thing of worship amongst the peoples at that time. Um, and these people repeat the mistakes of history and uh, they set up these rival centers of worship. Flip to the back of your Bibles, you'll find probably a map that gives the 12 tribes of Israel. Dan is right at the northern edge of the territory. Um, Bethel is down in the south. And then you've got Samaria uh, becomes the provincial capital. Uh, do you remember that uh, Jesus one day met a woman at the well in Samaria and uh, engages her in conversation? And what does she say? Where should we worship? Should it be in Jerusalem or should it be here? People have got long, long memories. So she's asking a question because it was very pertinent to her. She was in the northern kingdom, a descendant from those in the north. <coughs> So, 
King Jeroboam uh, is established in the north in Israel and his idolatry continues to ex his successors. And um, in 722, uh, the kingdom is destroyed by the invading Assyrians. They come down from the north and you can read about that. And they're taken up. Samaria is actually destroyed. Um, it's besieged and destroyed and the people are carried off captive by the Assyrians. But what about Judah, the, uh, the southern kingdom? Judah and little Benjamin. Um, there had been some good kings like Josiah. He is spectacularly good. I really encourage you to read about Josiah in 2 Kings uh, 22, but also um, in second book of Chronicles at the end. It says some amazing things about Josiah. At eight, he gets to become king. At 16, he starts to inquire of the Lord and uh, pursue God. At 20, he starts to destroy the idols and the shrines that have been created. Um, uh, and at 26, he, uh, he gets the, uh, the temple to be cleaned out and there's the discovery of the law. And then he calls a great assembly and a coming back to God. It's a fantastic revival under Josiah. What a good guy. Um, but of course, it's... Uh, it isn't the whole story. There are good things and bad, thing, bad kings. There's corruption and compromise in the land. It's not just about rebelling against God because once godlessness goes, unrighteousness comes along as well. So you get bad behavior. People are corrupt. Um, they don't look after one another. Uh, the poor are compromised for the sake of the rich. And it's just a bad, bad scene. Not unlike today. Um, but the southern kingdom is defeated this time by the Babylonian Empire. And uh, they're exiled in three stages. And I find uh, this quite fascinating and it'll help you in terms of locating where these prophets fit. In 606, the royal family, the court officials, the temple vessels... And some promising young men are deported. Among these are a guy called Daniel and uh, three other guys called Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. You will know them probably better by their Babylonian names, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. A few years later, nine years later, uh, the Babylonians come back and say, okay, we'll take the upper classes the politicians and the prophet Ezekiel is taken off into captivity. And then 11 years later in 586, the rest of the people are taken uh, off into captivity. Jerusalem is utterly destroyed and so is the temple. And the prophet Jeremiah remains to lament over Jerusalem and just how tragically they've fallen from those heady days of Solomon presence of God in the temple, the king on the throne. What a mess. And those of you who are old enough to remember the song, By the Rivers of Babylon, there we sat down when we remembered Zion. This is the laments that's going on for those who are in captive, captivity in, in Babylon, remembering the old days. Okay. Moving on. 
I found this slide, which is not terribly good to see, but I'd encourage you to go on the, um, the, the website, SEF Church website. Not only is the, um, the talk on there, but also the slides will be there. And I found this an incredibly helpful slide to me personally in trying to get an understanding of where does all this stuff fit? Where are the kings in relationship to the prophets? And we'll see that a little bit on, the next, on another slide. How does it all fit together? And there's a little summary of what I've been saying. Solomon uh, dies, 9.22. Jeroboam uh, is the leader of the 10 rebellious northern kingdoms. Uh, and in 7.22, um, the Assyrians uh, defeat them and take them off. And just look at the, the time period. 9.22 to 7.22. 200 years. God is not slow to anger. He's not quick to bring judgment. It'll eventually come if we continue in rebellion against him. That's one of the messages there for me. And the other tragic thing that you note from that little timeline is, unlike the southern kingdom, there's no return. There's no big coming back. The northern kingdom, Israel, is dispersed. And I just wonder sometimes, people like Paul the Apostle, Paul from Tarsus, he's up north, he's outside of Israel. And so you get these Jewish settlements all around the place. Um, people who become faithful, but they don't return to the land. And then if you look at the bottom half, uh, there's our... Good King Josiah, um, but in five, uh, 606, it's not shown on there, um, David Pawson helps me out with the three, uh, there's a 606 captivity, a 597 and a 586. 606, we're talking nearly 300 years later before they're taken captive. Eventually, God's judgment comes even though time passes because he's not willing that any should perish but all should come to salvation. And so you get these exiles into Babylon. You see the chains down there. And uh, then Cyrus, uh, who is a king of another empire, uh, Persia. The Persian Empire uh, defeats the Babylonian Empire. And uh, this is an amazing story, Cyrus. You, know, you read this at the end of 2 Chronicles or... Uh, the next book, uh, which is Ezra. And this guy says to the people, the Lord your God has spoken to me and told me to give you the opportunity to go back and rebuild the temple. How does that happen? I think it's amazing that God can work through people who are not following him, but nevertheless recognize him and are used as uh, instruments for bringing about his purposes. So Cyrus invites um, uh, the people to return. And the prophets, uh, during all of this time, the prophets are, are speaking. They're speaking before the exile. They're speaking during the exile. And they're speaking on the return. And uh, the message of the prophets is uh, is 
one of judgment. We often speak of prophets as saying about the future, and that's true. But actually, more importantly, they're bringing the word of God to the people. They're enforcers of the covenants that God has made and that people have made with God. And the message is that it's God's judgment that's the reason behind Israel and Judah's destruction. And God warns, reminds, and explains. And again, in that 2 Chronicles uh, last um, chapter, right at the very end, that's, that's summarized there for us. The his, political historians could say, ah, oh, yeah, well, um, the Assyrian army, empire, Syrian empire became powerful and they took over these lands. And then the Babylonian empire took over these lands and did this stuff. And then the, the Persian empire rose and they defeated the Babylonians. And then, of course, later on, the Roman empire, etc. And you could just see this as political history playing out. But God is behind it all. He's organizing Events and the reason these uh, empires have troubled Israel and Judah is it's because God is executing judgment on the people. Because if the Canaanites were expelled because of their sin, if the new people coming in, God's people, do things as bad as they did, God is just, He's got to punish. And this isn't anything trivial like not turning up on a Sunday morning. This is worshipping idols. This is sacrificing your children to idols. It's tough, horrible stuff. So God has to act. We need to remember that there are conditional covenants like Moses. If you do this and are faithful to God, he will bless you. There's unconditional covenants like to Abraham that through you and your seed all the nations will be blessed. There is a purpose that God's going to uh, achieve because that's what he's committed to do. But whether we're part of that or not is a lot to do with how we respond to his invitation. This is the second uh, slide that I found really, really helpful. And so in the northern kingdom you had the prophets Amos and Hosea uh, before um, captivity. And uh, in the southern kingdom, Judah, you have these prophets, and these are in sort of some sort of time order. The great, great prophet Isaiah, Micah, big guys like Jeremiah, who, um, who was there through the exile period. Daniel, you remember I mentioned, was taken off captive. He and Ezekiel were prophesying during this uh, time in captivity. And then when uh, under Cyrus, uh, king of Persia, they're encouraged to return uh, to Judah to rebuild the temple, rebuild Jerusalem. You have these prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi right at the end. Whoops. Right. So Cyrus uh, allows the people and in fact encourages the people uh, to return home over those three time periods. And we end with Malachi waiting 
for the king. But um, God's prophets aren't just about judgment. Within them is the message of hope, which springs from his mercy and faithfulness. The messages of hope are clearly a mix of things which are imminent, but there's also stuff in there that are clearly for a future time and we have, in hindsight, the opportunity to see that quite clearly. The prophets talk about a people in a new exodus, and that's Jeremiah, uh, a return. Uh, it says there, in the, if you look up that verse, it says, I will bring them back, a remnant, uh, during Cyrus's time. In the new Passover lamb, that reference in Isaiah, which is before the, the, uh, the captivity taken off into Babylon, uh, he says uh, in that verse there, Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who is this him? Well, it's looking forward to Jesus. All nations will be included in this. So Isaiah again, this is even before the captivity, I will give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my, uh, sal my salvation to the ends of the earth. The prophets also talk about the people being in a place. A new temple is described to Ezekiel. Um, and Ezekiel is in the, in the captivity. He's talking about a new temple uh, of incredible proportions like the one you read about in Revelation as it happens. And um, it says that all nations are going to be included in that. Sorry, that, that shouldn't be there. A new creation, a new temple and a new creation. And if you, if you read Isaiah 65, 17, this is what it says. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Well, there's, that appears again in Revelation, doesn't it? New heavens, new earth. Amazing. So these prophets are speaking not only to their own time, but also to some future time. And the prophets are talking about God's people in God's place under his rule and blessing. Jeremiah, our friend Jeremiah, uh, speaks about a new covenant. Now I'm going to read that. I put my glasses on. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in Judah. It, sorry, yeah, according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the hand of, land of Egypt. 
My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and sin I will remember no more. So here's Jeremiah in that period speaking about a new covenant. We'll be celebrating a new covenant and this is one of the reasons why we wanted to change the order. But there's not only a new covenant, there's a new king. Our dear friend Isaiah uh, quotes this. Now remember, this is Isaiah writing hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus. And he says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this and my uh, expectation is you probably heard that read more in the New Testament than you have read it in the Old Testament under Isaiah because he quotes um, this is the quote that's uh, fulfilled in that time Coming to the end now. So in summary, we have the prophesied kingdom where God's people will be a new Israel which will include the nations, the Gentile nations, all the, gen- all the nations of the earth, people from every nation, tribe and language. We have a place which will be a new temple and a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. And God's rule and blessing will be under a new covenant that's something that's inner, a heart thing, and a new king, which we recognize to be Jesus. Come on. So I leave you at the end of the Old Testament, the end of the prophets, Malachi, just a little book short book you can read it in five minutes and he says behold I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me you're thinking what does that sound like what does that sound like I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple even the messenger of the covenant the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord 
and everlasting righteousness. Is that the end of the prophets? Is there another prophet? Oops. Okay, I'll just read this. 400 years after Malachi speaks those words, during which there are no prophets, there is no word from the Lord. See these big time periods. In the beginning of Mark's gospel, which is considered to be the earliest gospel, yet a boom event the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Malachi, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. John came baptizing in the wilderness, and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judah and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were baptized there, confessing their sins. So the, the messenger of the covenant, John, and the institutor of the covenant, King Jesus, appears suddenly on the scene, and that's where... Stan will pick up next week. Jesus comes to institute a new covenant and the night when he was betrayed, he instituted a new covenant. He reinvented, as it were, or reinterpreted the Old Testament covenant, breaking of bread, spilling of blood, and applied it to himself. And Sal is going to lead us. Thank you, Paul. Wow.